Hello and welcome to a new episode of 5678, a podcast about dance training. My name is Rebecca Werstold and today's guest is Becky Hilton. Two Rebeccas. Two Rebeccas. Welcome. Thank you. Nice that you're joining the podcast. Yeah, I'm very happy to join the podcast. Nice. Mm, we are sitting in Örnsberg in Stockholm in a warm apartment. <laughs> And maybe you could start to introduce yourself shortly. Mm-hmm. Hmm. My name is Rebecca Hilton, but everyone who knows me calls me Becky. Uh, I am from the place known as Australia. <laughs> but indigenous friends of mine have asked me to call it so-called Australia because there's no treaty with the indigenous people there so Australia is a concept that many indigenous people there don't accept so so-called Australia is where I'm from uh I uh what should I say about I I began dancing in somebody's living room holding on to the back of a sofa when I was 10 and the person who was teaching me was a 17-year-old beautiful ballerina who was in the local ballet company called State Ballet Company called Ballet Victoria and she was the daughter of my a friend of my mother's my mother had just gone to university and it was the best training we would do half an hour holding on to the back of the couch where i would just copy her doing the bar like she wouldn't say anything i just copy her And then she would just put on some crackly record, like classical, like Swan Lake or something, and we would ballet improvise, (laughs) (laughs) which was just the greatest. And I think that I was like, so I got immediately right into the training for this podcast, with with this story, but I got immediately into a relationship with dance that was about discipline and pleasure. Mm. Immediately those things had a relation and that somehow I understood in an embodied way that you needed both of those things. You know, so that was with me very, it was luck because she had no idea what she was doing. (laughs) Honestly, her mother made her teach me, I think. And we could hear our mothers talking, having coffee in the kitchen. Like it was just a very kind of domestic environment. And then from there I went to the school that was the ballet company she was in and just did class, you know, I started once a week and then just got obsessed and it was ballet and then very weird modern dance, like with this old man who wore tights that he pulled up really high and a leotard with a zip down the front and he had a drum. And he would just kind of make stuff up also, but he was horrible. He was really mean. Okay. In what way? He was mean about people's bodies. He was just an angry, strange man. His name was Arta. Arta Turnbull. Um, yeah, insulting. It would insult very young girls. Like it was very hard. It's ridiculous. Many lots of people like that now. I think I think um, people who teach dance are much nicer now. I'm sure you've had experiences of not nice people, but in general. I think back then, I mean, this was the 70s. (laughs) Um, 
it was part of part of learning anything was kind of people being horrible to you. Like that has really transformed, I think, mm. you know, speaking of training. But the other side of that is we would just give up the responsibility for our own bodies to those people. So in a way they were responsible for them. Now I think it's much more complicated. You're so responsible for yourself and your own learning and your own training from the start somehow. And I think that sets up a whole different set of complexities. Mm, not only for good, you mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think maybe maybe part, maybe this maybe self-expression and agency get confused with self-loathing and self-promotion and self like I I think all of those things are much more entangled Mm. these days than they were for me somehow so yeah I don't know I don't know about the better or worse paradigm but just it's completely different it's a completely different training and learning paradigm you know but So then I went to performing arts high school and then I did a couple of years. I have like a diploma of dance because you couldn't do a degree mm. then. And then I got a job in Sydney when I was 18 and I moved to Sydney and joined a dance company. And <laughs> there were only two of us in the dance company. It was this incredible man called Russell Dumas who had... He was actually in the Royal Ballet, the Coolberg Ballet, the Netherlands Ballet, the Twyla Tharp Dance Company, the Trisha Brown Dance Company. He was in, like, Gilbenkian. He was in every company for about a month. He had major authority problems, but he was an extraordinary dancer and he was a man. So, yeah, he was amazing. He was probably the most amazing dancer I'd ever seen and also a very difficult person on the spectrum, maybe. I don't know. He thinks so. But... uh He took one look at me and Lucy Guerin, who's a choreographer from Australia, who's a very dear friend of mine, and was just like, "Ooh, ooh, you know nothing," <laughs> and took us overseas for six months. And we went to New York. This was 1984. We went to New York for four months. We went to Europe. We went, and we did class. He paid. Basically, he paid for us to do like some kind of post-training training. And we performed his work, which was very aesthetic and quiet and subtle and beautiful, beautiful work. Yeah, so that's that story. So when I went to New York, I was like, wow, I want to come back here. I went back to Australia. Russell and I had a huge fight because I just thought, I was like, I know you know so much more than I do, but you're so horrible. Like, why, why, why are you like that? Like, it was a lot. He's still, we're still quite close, actually, but... And then I joined a dance company in Melbourne that was much less interesting to me, but I moved back home and saved money and went to New York when I was 22. Nice. And that's when the training really started, I would say. But okay. In a way, in a way. I mean, just the access to all kinds of every kind of class, mm. you know, you could hope to do. And I was always just an insane workshop goer. And I still am. I'll go to a workshop whenever I can <laughs> somehow. So I, yeah, and in New York you do any kind of class at any time of the day. So I would do three or four classes a day or, you know. Mm. What is it you like about class? I like the togetherness. I like the being side by side with others, but being um, also alone. 
like the it's a bit like going to the theater <laughs> i like the repetition i love repetition i like how someone's perspective can totally shift your perspective on a thing that you've been doing forever i like improving at something and then getting worse and then getting a bit better and then worse and that, like having some kind of tracking device on your own like tracking your own kind of uh, trajectory kind of in relation to I like engaging with style I think it's really fun I like how I'm really bad at some styles and really good at some styles and recognize that I hit the moment i was very lucky that what i could do was what was happening in new york at the moment when i got there just really recognizing oh i didn't really understand it that way at the time but that just like oh my particular set of skills intersects perfectly with this moment in time mm. and many people don't have that it's quite some people are quite anachronistic what does that mean? Anachronistic means kind of something that's out of time. Mm. You know how you meet some people who are like, oh, my God, you would have been amazing as a 19th century ballerina. You know what I mean? Like that your body and this particular softness and roundness and delicacy, like, fuck. If only, oops, I swore, but if only you were born in 1848, you know? Yeah. And all kinds of things. People with a predisposition towards kind of shape and abstraction mm. so what kind of skills was it that you had that matched new york i think i think what i had was i was quite a technical dancer like i could do things i could do technical things i could i was very coordinated i could make things look like something really fast they didn't stay looking like nothing for long which has good and bad aspects to it Uh, so New York was coming out of the kind of postmodern Judson pedestrian, everyone can dance, and moving, you know, because dance history is nothing if not reactionary. <laughs> so people were moving back to the theatre and engaging again with theatricality, but in, not in a way in a way that was still kind of. I, I would say there was some irony to it. I don't think we knew that's what it was but it was a bit a little bit performance mm. uh and also new york was in the middle new york was a disaster there was the aids crisis there was it was a disaster but also a collection of really amazing uh freaks <laughs> people who who could only be long there and There was a place for everyone there. So there was a kind of collection of body types, a collection of... Uh, I mean, I think we felt like we were much more plural than we actually were, which is a bit like what we were talking about earlier, off mic. Um, but, yeah, so I think all of those things, I could, I could perform virtuosity but also really understood... Uh, Um, kind of embodied, somatic, haptic, you know, all, all those other kinds of practices. Mm. You know, I could, I wasn't kind of performancy. It's hard to talk about yourself. I will say, though, I still meet people who are like, oh, my God, 
And I'm like, I know, she was amazing. It's like it's another person. <laughs> okay. Really, like they had seen me perform because I was in this company called the Stephen Petronio Company, which probably no one's heard of now, but then it was quite... Uh, and it was the dancing mm. that was the thing, not really the choreography. So it was also a very different... It was the time before choreographers were the shizzle. It was really about dancing. And all of those dancers did lots of teaching to support themselves. Mm. So then that, the way that aesthetic uh, moved through the world was through the, through the dancers rather than through the choreographers, which is mm. kind of interesting. It moved through teaching rather than through uh, choreography, mm. which is kind of an interesting moment of shift, I think, you know. Um, so you have always been teaching and... I taught, I can't there. even believe that this is true, but I I taught my first contemporary dance class when I was like 20. And it was very funny. It was at a very prestigious school. It was um, in Amsterdam and it was the School for New Dance Development. But it was before there was the Arnhem one. It was 1984. So I was 20 years old. Russell, we were there with Russell. He was teaching there. He got sick. And Russell would do this ballet bar. Every day we would do this kind of soft, amazing ballet bar. So I knew it. And he got really sick. And he was like, you have to teach it. And I was like, what? But I did it. I don't think I, I mean, I'm sure I was terrible at it, but I did it. I'm from a family of teachers, though, not dance teachers. But So teaching is something that I have always been around mm. and been in literally my parents, my grandparents. Like It's very a family of pedagogues. So it wasn't so surprising. And then when I got to New York, at tw- then in the company I was in in Melbourne, we all shared teaching morning class. And so I just started then. And then I got to New York. I had already had more teaching experience than many people in New York so I started teaching there just as a way to supplement my income really and that's yeah so always I've always they've always been parallel practices for me learning and teaching Mm. somehow and sometimes I think you can't really teach what you haven't had to learn Mm. because you don't if you can just do things you have no language or no kind of process to describe because you can just do it. Mm. So I think the things you have to learn and then kind of somehow get a relationship between the your body and your mind, your intellect, rather than your uh, instinct. Mm. You know, I think that's why some people are really terrible teachers, I think. No, because they're just like, what is wrong with you? This is nothing. <laughs> They haven't. They don't have a relationship to the fact that perhaps not everybody can do that because mm. it's so straightforward for them. They don't even have to think about it. You know. I think Russell was like that. I think he's a much better teacher now. He was a terrible teacher, but just to be with that body and try to copy it was a particular kind of training. Mimesis. I've already covered all of your topics. Yeah, you have. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> And the pod, no. Um, if I ask all my guests this uh, question, that if you think about all your dance training that have been in your life mm-hmm. in different times, could you mention some things that you are grateful for that it has taught you? Yes. 
<clears throat> one thing is Russell's coming up a lot, but he said this thing. He was like, dancing is managing instability. Like physically, emotionally, financially. <laughs> <laughs> and that just became really that I've always that that was very helpful as a kind of truism, as a way to think about the choices I was making, that I was making that choice and that I, in a way, had the privilege to make that choice, mm. to be poor in New York, you know, to choose instability. And that's always been, I mean, I really, this, the job I have now, so I'm a professor in the research centre at Stockholm University of the Arts. Uh, it's the first, like, full-time, like, grown-up job I've ever had mm. and I got it when I was 54, and I've not had any formal education. So I got it because of I've been pretty good at managing instability all these years, I guess. So that's something. The thing I feel like many people say about dancing, which I get like, don't stop saying that, everybody. Can we stop saying Is this thing about adaptability? Because mm. I'm just like, no, stop. Maybe. Maybe that's true. But adaptability means that we're constantly conforming to somebody else's conditions and Krista Parkinson actually much prefers the word plasticity which I think is a much better way to think about these this kind of dancerness I've mm. written quite a bit about this thing I call dancer and ness like what are the qualities of being a dancer um and she yeah she because plasticity plastic something that's plastic can give and receive form mm. right something that's adaptable just adapts to the prevailing conditions so I guess those things like plasticity again to me right in these times that we're in right now it all feels incredibly privileged <laughs> to be able to you know and and kind of describing I think people talking about dancerness has often been from this place of uh, disempowerment like that a dancer is, doesn't have as much power as a choreographer or a producer or, so dancerness has been a lot about agency I think mm. and I think that's being really it's certainly being challenged in me at the moment you know like oh god I could again I could choose instability because I was never actually going to drop out mm of the world there was always a my family and also a community that wouldn't let that happen so um what else dancing I mean I think you get to practice connecting the inside to the outside all the time I think maybe that's the central thing that I think dance training ha allows for it's like you're constantly monitoring the inside of you and constantly putting it in relation to the outside of you mm. So that is something I think. Say, say more we about could all that. Practice. How how is that trend? Well, I just think the thing that you're you're into at least two streams of consciousness. <laughs> always when you're doing dance training, one is like what is going on on a sensorial level in your body about densities and rhythms and softnesses and hardnesses and all of those things um and the other is about so that's going on and you're also managing proprioception extra x what is it called x 
exoception. I just made that up, but interception. That yeah, it's. I mean, it's something that happens all the time. Humans are always doing that. You're managing your own sensations in relation to the sensations you're perceiving. So you're transmitting and receiving at the same time, and you're perceiving and kind of sending information out at the same time. So I think dancing actually practices that. Mm. Like I think it's something that happens all the time in every human, but you actually train that as a dancer. So I don't know if that helps somehow. I love I, The other thing I love about dancing is you're like, oh, I get this feeling of like, oh, it's, I am working so hard and it looks like nothing. <laughs> like the difference between kind of how it seems and how it is, mm. like that's another thing I think. <laughs> and, and that's a really good thing to kind of know in an embodied way, I think. I think that trains a kind of empathy maybe mm. somehow, like oh, something that looks that way doesn't necessarily feel that way. I was thinking about that in relation to all of the endless people dancing in their living rooms that we've yeah. endured for the last 18 months. And I really wanted to get a T-shirt that I would just sit watching things with, like, dance doesn't look how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I was just like, ah. I think that's, I mean, I yeah. That's what I like so much about the class also, because I feel in that um, format... I can really be with how it feels. Mm -hmm. And I That's don't have right. to I don't in that room I don't have to be interested in how it looks right. or in not in every class at least. Right. It's interesting cuz I used to have this I totally understand that and feel that also now, but I remember when I was younger I would just love it if someone watched class. Mm. Cuz it would like the there'd be a heightening of everything. It was like practising, perform. There was something different at stake or, you know, but that's probably just because I'm a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> but just that adding that kind of quality of performance yeah. would help me train, actually, mm -hmm. sometimes. Yeah. So, but they're different kinds of training, I think. I think perhaps if I'd grown up more in the context you did, like... I, The training when I was very young was about getting the teacher's attention somehow, mm. you know, and getting them to say good. Like that was what it was about. That's mm. what I mean by you just gave up your agency yeah. to somebody else and they had complete control over you, you know, somehow. Mm. <laughs> like terrifying. But that shifts also. It's not sustainable, that, mm. I think. Somehow. I remember the moment. I've actually written about this too. I've written something called Ten Realizations Made Possible by Acts of Dancing. And it's kind of just ten little stories from my dance history. And one of them is coming back from holidays to the Performing Arts High School. We had this amazing... She was... I don't know if you had heard of the choreographer John Cranko. He was a ballet choreographer in the Frankfurt Ballet, I think. Anyway, in the 70s, he was kind of a big deal. And she had she was his assistant and then she'd come to Australia and she'd run the Australian Ballet Company and then she was too hardcore for them, so they kicked her out and then she ran this school. So she was an amazing teacher, like really. And I still have key things she taught me about dancing that I still remember. But um, 
I remember come, being in the studio after summer holidays and I just turned 16 and I got my period like over the summer holidays. So my body had slightly, I mean, I looked like a piece of toast. I was always wide, broad, but f- I was flat. I was like <laughs> a piece of toast. Like no, I was big boned and tall for that time, but no one, you could not have called me fat ever then, although I was always the big one, you know. But um, she was... The look of horror, and she was a big lady too. The look of horror on her face as she's looking at my body that I have just been so traumatized by, like, also, you know, this moment Mm. when, and just this grown up woman just looking at me, like, with her face, just like, she was like, What happened to you? Like, like, insane, right? And I just looked at her. That moment, something snapped. You know, yeah. I was just like, what do you fucking think? I didn't say it, but I was like, what do you think happened to me? Like, puberty yeah. happened to me, you stupid bitch. You know, I was just... But that moment, her power over me snapped. Yeah. And I went from being scared of her to recognising, like, oh, they're just s- stupid people with poor taste and they make mistakes. Like, it really shifted yeah. for me. And then, of course, I became one of her favourites because she'd lost the... Fear, the fear was gone, you know, and there was a kind of freedom in recognizing, like, oh, she's just a human idiot, mm. like the rest of us, you know, with this amazing. But I remember she told she taught me this thing of, she told she was had very similar skills to me, like the boy skills, like I could t- do five pirouettes and jump really high and do lots of. I was much whereas Adage, I was like heavy lit, like I could barely get them up. I really had the boy skills, but um. She taught me to jump right before, no, right after the beat, because then you look like you're hanging in the air. Like, and it was an amazing, so one and you know, she's like one and two and like that you jump right before the beat so you're Mm. actually hanging in the air ahead of everyone else I mean behind everyone else and you look like you've jumped higher than them (laughs) I was like that's amazing she was very musical I would say and that's that was really her big yeah so I can't even remember your question now but (laughs) (laughs) everything you're grateful for that's right it's coming that's right yeah all the things that dancing has taught me Yeah. yeah And that, of course, changes over time. I make, I can look back and understand what I learned mm. much more easily than I could understand at the time, somehow, of course. But. Yeah. I'm what gonna, about you? I'm going to, yeah, um, I'm going to hook on to the first thing you said about managing instability. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then talk a bit about the first time we met. <laughs> Because uh, I was in my second year in Copenhagen in my education and you came to make a piece the piece was called everything has already been done but not by us yes and um, I remember this process it was quite uh, challenging for me at the time like I was very much trying to be a good student and doing the right steps and very polite in my dancing somehow and then you came (laughs) and (laughs) I think it was the first time also that I did something more score based Mm. like everything was 
floating around and it kept changing and shifting and it was random music and all the uh, way yeah, up to yeah. premiere mm-hmm. everything was just um, moving around mm. and also I remember you were teaching morning class and you were like improvising a phrase that we were attempting to catch and you were attempting to memorize and then we all remembered differently, differently and tried to negotiate this dance to figure out what it was so suddenly like this communication there was something at stake about communication and what is a movement and that things changes with time and um, for me it was also this that there was no original or like no big right to relate it to everything was it's terrifying isn't it yeah (laughs) <laughs> but but it was funny because what you said about being grateful for managing instability. Mm. And I really think that that was one of the first times where I was introduced to a kind of work that like aims for that. Mm. Aims for instability. Yeah, or setting yeah. up a, in a like, situation where you have to... Negotiate n- yeah. everything all the time. And as it happens. Right. And you don't, you don't left with so much to like... Mm. cling on to but the other part of it was that I think also was really challenging the other end or the not the other end of that but kind of in the center of that whole experience was you each had to decide something that you thought it would be worth your time choosing from dance history yeah as you could access it on the internet and spending huge amounts of time learning it or processing it or figuring out how you wanted to present it. or So there was the mess, but it was all centred around this really difficult task mm. of choosing something. Yeah. Like having to, at that moment, have a have a relationship to, to who you were and what you were and how you were going to manifest that and then how you're going to perform that. So there was this really difficult task Mm. at the center of the because all of the material came from I don't know if you remember that but all of the material came from those every bit of material came from the individual things that you guys had chosen yeah so it was all kind of uh anchored by this sense of self which also is I mean that whole task I did that very similar um construction several times in three different schools Mm. and it was really interesting the similarities and differences but um that to me I think is the thing about the balance because a mess is a mess but there needs to be some anchor points for it to be even perceivable I think Mm. as a thing you know so the anchor point in that particular process was a really incredibly challenging one of uh having to say right now this is what I'm going to spend my time doing and then once you'd made the choice just being like and some people just I don't know if I remember some people just couldn't do it Mm. or didn't or chose something right like it was just very very uh like beyond challenging I think that in a in a you know and then I'm very friendly so and I tell lots of terrible jokes so (laughs) we can all kind of be in the mess together but uh I think that was yeah just that the balance of the chaos with the specificity somehow Mm. you know that each of you had 
had to do that. And to stay in that, because as you say, you you were very nice and very like, yes, it's good, great, you're doing great, stay, nothing is, uh, you're doing good, continue. Yeah, continue, I'm not going to be like, so I like that, I like exactly. that, I like that. And that produces, I mean, in terms of training, mm. you know, that produces a kind of incandescent horror for people. Mm-hmm. It's like, but I need you to be a, an authority mm. in something, you know, and I'm like, but I am. Here's a story about dance history and yeah. here's a this. And I had lots of things that I was authoring all the way through. Um, yeah, but that's, I feel like as a pedagogue, that is what I can offer uh, inst- uh, institutions. Mm. Like safe chaos. Mm. Like this is, it's not simple out there. <laughs> you know, and the relationship between control and resistance i also think this is a really specific thing that dance training can can really provide Mm. a relationship to that so that particular kind of it's a concept that that work um can really get into some nitty-gritties about control and resistance like what you're willing to let go what you're not willing to let go of how you're negotiating to get what you want you know it just it makes all of those things kind of visible somehow yeah we met the other day and then you said something what did you say then Sub- submission on the outside and resistance uh, yeah, on the yeah. inside that's another thing dance training that's one of the less interesting things dance <laughs> training gives you but yeah that thing of um yeah external obedience internal mm. resistance mm. which is a little it's related to control to control and resistance but obedience and control are different very mm. different things, mm. you know. So those three things are maybe that's an interesting triangle: obedience, resistance, and control. You know that maybe that's that is the kind of triangle we're always managing somehow, even mm. just in relation to our own body and gravity, or momentum, or you know, even on those kind of physical levels. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've got a lot things to say about that i also never got to see you perform that piece which people were just like how can you make something and not and i'm like it's a concept like the the the, a whole lot of things will be done of course i would have loved to have seen it i had to go i had to go and do something else but um many things will be learned by the performing of it Mm. that cannot be learned by the um making of it Mm. but that's not they're not about me. Neither of those things are about me. I'm providing a kind of container for a particular kind of learning about a particular set of things that may or may not happen, and that's your choice, not mm. mine. And that that is also a really important thing to transmit in the middle of a dance education, I think. My relationship to choreography is as a dancer. Mm. So I will always make frameworks that are as much about exploring what it is to be a dancer, the level of agency, responsibility um, a dancer can have in a context and and also the idea of how much a dancer is authoring a choreography all the time. Mm. You know, So they're things that I'm always interested in no matter what I make and no mm. matter what I teach. I mean, I've been through... I will do lots of things and I'm different in relation to, to this now but... I will do loads of things to kind of undermine my own authority, 
which sometimes can just produce a place of complete lack of respect. <laughs> Not just for me, but sometimes what that can produce. When I began kind of, when I made the shift from being like, I'm a fantastic dancer, do it like me. I mean, I look back, we used to do, and it was very common in New York, we would like perform the phrase in the class for mm. the people, which I'm just like, <laughs> like I'm just like, but that's just what, that, that was the convention of the time. You'd do a really slow warm-up and then the te famous dancer teacher would do a like a royal command performance of the phrase they're about to teach for all the... And people would applaud like, oh, my God. But so that shifted as I could no longer be that. You know, mm. I could no longer be the person who could wow them with my fabulous... And also just so uninterested in being that. But... But then it went quite wonky when I moved, because I lived in New York for 13 years and then I moved back to Australia when I was about 34, I think. And um, I was just like, dance here is horrifying. Like, I cannot, ah! Just from the, I recognise it now as a queer experimental bubble of New York of the 80s and 90s, back to a place that was super straight and super, you know, boys and girls, super hetero, mm. super beautiful, dancing was beauty and everybody had amazing ballet training. You know, I was just like, oh, I was literally like, I can't do dance here. Like, mm. I can't, I can't, I can teach and then I can use my danceness in other contexts. So that's when I started working much more with participatory and community-based practices that when I moved back to Australia, I was just like, and also I just don't want to, spend my life applying for grants and sucking up to people who know much less than me you know I'm just like no I can't I actually can't do that so uh yeah that was a real when you look when I look back I was just surviving but it was a key shift somehow so those contexts were also very much like the context I would make for you mm. I made for you what I began making in kind of uh community contexts and a lot of that was like, how can I not, you know how people go to see community theatre and they're like, oh, like, oh, it's great, but oh, uh, you know, aesthetically, which now, I mean, I'm also, I have many things to say about that, but that's another podcast maybe. But the, um, so I became really interested in like, okay, how can I frame what, all of these people are doing in a way where the thing you're receiving is what they're doing not how what they're doing looks so or the mm. thing you're receiving is how great it is that people are doing that and you can do it too or you know so it wasn't how can you make kind of performance frames that aren't about objectifying those people the way that we are on a stage you know yeah because you can't looking at people on a stage doing certain things is just not fair to the stage or the people <laughs> you know it's it's framing something that isn't was never about being framed mm. you know so very basic things which continued on in the work I did with you where people were encountering you where their body was the same size as your body <laughs> they're not they could look at you from a distance but then they're looking at a whole other lot of other people doing other things and looking at other people looking at people you know so things like that working with scale and um uh, yeah kind of 
accessibility in terms of like, oh, I can't, I, now I know you, I can't objectify you mm. <laughs> in the same way, mm. you know. So I don't know if you remember, but each of you would learn about the other's thing yeah. and talk. So you'd tell anyone watching, like you did, Anatrae Roses, Dance Roses, I seem to remember, no, didn't you? I did. Oh, no, hands. you did. Oh, you did. Oh, my God. I was th- it was a chair situation. Yeah. You did... Um, you did the chair thing from uh, Ohad Naharin, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. But the famous, which is a fantastic but piece, like actually. But you deconstructed motion. it and then you did something where you tore up the school schedule I and made confetti. My, exactly, I cut my schedule I remember it very well, except I made it, it in my mind, I made it um, <laughs> yeah, on a tracer. But yeah. you're right. Of course, you're right. I'm telling you, you're right about something you did, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember how it looked. But, yeah, so that also does something. So if someone, an audience member is hearing about, oh, Rebecca chose this, it's so hard, you know, there's all these different kind of ways to look at it from. Mm. Not just your, not, you're not just left alone with your taste. Yeah. I don't like leaving people alone with their taste. I think a lot of damage is done <laughs> <laughs> with that somehow. Not damage, but, yeah, so I'm interested in a different thing. Mm. This idea of plurality, but also in terms of the how many different ways you get to receive what you're seeing. You can hear about it, you can see it, you can stand close to it, you can stand far away from it, you can consider it in relation to something else, you can, you know, just offering a kind of prismatic experience of, of a dance mm. somehow. Nice. Shall we talk a little bit about uh, your present? Because uh, <laughs> I yes. read the title of your research area yeah which site event event encounter encounter. yeah well that's the i mean our university has a really interesting uh structure in that way because i mean let's not get into it too much but it's a university made up up several schools that were separate individual craft schools i would say and they got shoved together they got called a university. Once you're a university, this is something that I'm not sure several uh, people in our context understand, but once you're a university, you have to engage with research. Without university, without research, you're not a university. That's what makes it a school, a university. So research is something that is... Um, some people at our school are really interested in and some people are really afraid of and some people really resent and so, and that's because of the history of it. So one of the ways they kind of decided to structure the university so that people from all the different schools had places to meet in terms of research was uh, four separate research areas. So one is concept and composition, one is bodily and vocal practices, one is art, technology and materiality. I don't know why Ellen gets art in hers, but because they're all art, I would think. But um, And the one that I'm the host of somehow is called Site Event Encounter, which is great. It's like a poem. 
It's also just everything I do. It's also all of them are everything everybody does. I mean, if you think about all four of those areas, mm. if you're doing a research project, you would want to understand how you're engaging with your interest via all of those areas. Mm. But side event encounter is really this idea of how, a bit like what I've been talking about, how your work meets the public or the world or a forest if you're a new materialist <laughs> but um yeah so what I described about this multi-perspectival kind of like that that's a that's a real expression of how I understand the idea of the art I make in relation to this site event encounter which you think about it's like a zoom in you know it's place event which is I would define event as something that has a time frame. Mm. Event just can't go on forever. It has a, can be long or short, but it has a time frame. And then encounter is the actual uh, meeting inside the work somehow. So, yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I saw that that professorship was up and that's why I applied. If it had been bodily and vocal practices or concept and composition, I probably wouldn't have applied. It was very much about that. I was just like... I really loved it. And it's a very open... The university is very new. Artistic research is very new. So it's very Wild West in there. Mm -hmm. So it's in unstable, more instability. <laughs> but which, you're managing. Which I am managing, maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. I think we're all managing instability all the time. But I think if you lift it up in the consciousness as something we're constantly negotiating, it's... It makes hard things a bit softer, mm. I think. I even think about things like problem, Me Too, you know, racism, things. Like, if, if we all understand that we're managing something that's incredibly unstable <laughs> together and some of us have, just by luck of birth, had a more stable... Uh, place from which to manage the, the unstable things mm. than others but yes so side event encounter so people will meet in that research area somehow so some people's work some people really are attracted to it and understand it some people are just like it's like a poem what is that you know so it's an interesting it's really a, con a place for conversation you know the that particular area like how do you think so if I was to say to you how do you think your work engages with that notion of side event encounter like how do you even inside this training podcast thing I could totally frame that as a side event encounter right mm. like really easily mm. actually sometimes Sometimes I think when people meet research, they think they have to make something else up when actually it's understanding what it is you're already doing. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what research can offer the opportunity. I also think many dancers, research has provided a way to talk about exactly what you're doing here. Mm. It's like it's research can provide the conditions for dancer-ness and all of the things that to have a you know to have a voice yeah. somehow you know so dance there's a lot of dancer research happening in the world 
which yeah. is really, really good for the world, <laughs> actually, and dance, you know. So. And so if we think about um, site, event and encounter, and we talk about the dance class or the mm. dance studio, mm-hmm. what, what would you say? Well, I think one thing of side event and count, well, one, one way, the other thing I want to say is anyone who comes into this professorship would do it differently. Yeah. So there's not a way to do it. That's important. And that's also a beautifully unstable thing in our context, actually, which is very rare. We're very lucky. Um, I think one of the things you deal with most directly with side event encounter is this idea of convention. You know, so it's like, okay, what are the conventions here? Mm. What are the existing... There are rules, there are social rules, there's ethics, there's a relationship between ethics and aesthetics, there's a... Right? So in dance class, a lot of those, those conventions are so beautifully clear. It's like, it's like clear water, right? It's like I will be in here and I will be alone but together. I will be working by myself but in relation to others. So I'll be managing a space in relation to others. So there's a kind of sensitivity being practiced and an awareness and an ethics. There'll be one person who for this moment is the authority and they may or may, their degrees of authority will change depending on who they are and what they're teaching. We all are, so there's things we, so they're the conventions, right? They're all the things we understand about dance class. So. I think that's a relief (laughs) in the same way as I think going to the theatre and sitting down and the lights go dark and then they come up and you think for a moment maybe my life will change and then it starts and you're like probably not. But those when you can kind they're like almost rituals. Mm. You know, I think there's a way to think about dance class as ritual but also as, as kind of convention. So you can... Because so many things are taken care of, the time, the place, the action, <laughs> even the ethics, the aesthetics, all of those things, you, are, you know them. You know what they're going to be. So there's a kind of peace <laughs> mm. that you don't, have to, you don't have to manage any of those things. You just have to manage, manage your relationship to them. You don't have to try to figure out what they are. Mm. And so that means dance class can be a place where you really can work on yourself <laughs> because all of those other things are somehow taken care of. So that's how I'd cite event encounter a dance class. And then I would be like, okay, so what are the things here that we could let go? What are, maybe there's some things in that, in that kind of particular collection of conventions that aren't helpful. Mm or useful or maybe I want to make it harder or maybe I want to make it softer or maybe you know so it's like getting control of the Xavier Leroy actually said to me once he was like well there will be a convention Becky so you may as well decide what it is and that was really helpful like he said that to me many many years ago and I was like wow that's cool because it's not like there isn't one Mm. there's always one but if you're the convener or the teacher or the choreographer or the organiser, then t- take time to pay attention to the, what the prevailing conventions are and change them if you don't like them. <laughs> Offer something else. Yeah. Offer another 
choice somehow so back to everything's already been done but not by us that was a super like i was trying to un un unhook all of the conventions what that you thinking of me as some kind of expert that mm. was going to tell you how to do things i was like i don't know mm. but you're like you have to know because someone has to know i'm like no they don't i mean we all know all the time you know so that i was it was very careful the, the, it seemed like chaos, but it was very carefully constructed chaos, a bit like my desk. Yeah. And and I feel with that, what you said, that sometimes you can only see what you learned like after. Mm. And I think in the middle of that chaos, I... Well, was... you weren't the only one. They were totally frozen. I remember Marlon, several people were just like, what's happening? Yeah. I also think that there's an unreasonable pressure on class that, is temporal like that you're going to learn in that hour and a half mm. and that just hardly ever happens mm. <laughs> you know so that's one of the conventions it might be good like if i'm teaching it might be good to be like to talk about that mm. you know then you're freeing yourself as a teacher from one of those unreasonable expectations <laughs> you know that's been built up it's i love this idea of uh there's another rebecca her name Rebecca God, my brain is so bad anyway she wrote a really I should look it up what is her name anyway she wrote a book called Performance Remains Rebecca oh, yeah. Schneider, Phew, Schneider thank god because I'm such a academic um, anyway she has this beautiful concept so she's looking at civil war reenactments you know these crazy so she's looking at how we re performance kind of and what that does to us and what that does to performance and she's using these civil war reenactments which are really insane as a case study almost but she talks about this concept of history that lags or drags you know and I really love that mm. Distinction because dragging we drag our history which means it kind of stays the same amount behind us like a guy kind of dragging it like a sled and then lagging is something that lags really behind but if something lags behind it also catches up you know so there's there are these different kind of temporalities in there about the way we she's talking about the way we kind of embody history but I could think about that in terms of class or learning as well you mm. know that and some things we just drag along that we need to just get rid of but we're like so that's, again, recognising your own set of conventions, you know, and the things that you could just get rid of because they're holding you back. Mm. There's a weight, you know, that you don't need. And I think we can all look back at our history and recognise these moments where we were like, oh, don't need that anymore, mm. you know, somehow. Be it an aesthetic or an idea of what dancing is or... A... But so that work was really designed to challenge all of those. Yeah conventions but in a way where you had to kind of challenge yourself like I wasn't going to challenge you I'd set up a situation yeah. where you could or not you know there are many people who and also it's very important I think certainly for me in in the work that I kind of construct that you can also do it easy you can choose something and learn it really well and do it fine and not engage with those kind of intellectual um 
not like absolutely choose to not engage with the things it might be producing in mm. terms of the you can be, you can choose to not be subject to learning <laughs> <laughs> and that's also really important to me you know it's like it's a bit like participatory art it's like you need to there's I've been thinking about it in three ways, like voluntary, involuntary and non-voluntary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so voluntary is like we're all here and we're all choosing to do this. Uh, involuntary is like we're all here. I didn't realise it was going to be like this and I don't want to do it. But if I don't do it, then I'll wreck it. So I'm going to do it. it. Mm. And most of us have that experience with participatory art practice, I think. And then non-voluntary are, are people who don't even know they're in it. You know, mm. so I think that's... I mean, I've been thinking about those three ways to think about art, public art. But I also think it's interesting to think about those things in terms of how what you're doing as a dancer inside choreography. Mm. So as a choreographer, it's really important that you can... that you know that you're choosing not to... And that you can choose not to. So in that you could, I mean, you couldn't choose not to be in the piece. You're at school. But you could choose to learn to do something you already knew. Yeah. And so just lie down and watch TV or something for the most of the process. You know what I mean? So that those things are kind of important to me too. That, that uh, the degree and the rate and the kind of learning you're kind of engaging with is not there's not just one way to do that and I really am not judgmental with that stuff I'm just I mean I it's almost like meeting a a sponge right I'm just like oh yeah that's great huh okay oh that's interesting great Ah, people just like ah (laughs) tell me if I'm doing it right I'm like there isn't a right but seems cool to me It's also I understand in that construction that anything anyone does will be interesting. That's back to what I was talking The thing that feels so huge to each of you, Mm. the choosing, Mm. is meaningless (laughs) to the people engaging as spectators with it. And that, that a a work of art can have those two experiences Mm. so central to it, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. It's like these people care so much and these people care as much as they want to care in relation to this. And you could be standing there like drooling and they'd be like, that's cool. Mm. But even realizing that (laughs) what you choose is meaningless makes choosing also hard. But I don't think what you you choose is meaningless to you. This is what I mean. It's really important to separate those Mm. things that are often really collapsed together Mm. because it's completely meaningful to you. (laughs) Mm. Yes. In varying degrees. Yeah. But what you choose, what the audience will receive is how hard you worked. On, mm. I honestly think that. Mm. An audience, what an Part of what an audience will get from that experience is someone who's really spent time with the material. Yeah. That is absolutely transmitting yeah. to me. Yeah. And that people who didn't spend a lot of time will get into the performance condition and just be like i wish i'd spent more time now that's an interesting thing to learn Mm. but it still doesn't matter (laughs) because one of the things to the audience or to the work the work is like a cockroach that that 
work could almost survive anything <laughs> yes. and has. I mean, I, I did so, a similar thing with a group at the dance department when it was Doc. It was slightly different. It was called Search Engine. So it was slightly different. They were really trapped. They were really trapped in little squares, like, and had to stay in this little square. It was kind of torturous. But, yeah, some, like, some people really couldn't do it and then just sat in their squares as the performance, which was also cool. So mm. the, the work, people are wandering around and there's someone sitting in a square. It was cool. It added to the work. Mm. <laughs> so those, yeah, the, and that's interesting to me, kind of creating... The, the kind of framework that can survive, that the co- it's not content dependent, mm. which is what makes it conceptual art, really. Because whatever the content is can uh, shift radically and does. And even if you're thinking of terms of quality or quantity, or it doesn't matter. Mm. <laughs> because the... But it matters. And that that's why it's a work that I really love to do in kind of institutional context. It mm. wouldn't have anywhere the same impact or set of kind of delayed <laughs> realizations yeah. if it wasn't in a in an institutional context. Um so th- we met then during our second year and there has been a during the rest of the education there was a quote floating around that I think was from you, but it might have transformed with time. But it was something about that what you like to see, what you like to do, and what you like to make is different and not necessarily the same. The same. Mm-hmm. Has that been so for you? Or is that so for you? Yes, I could say. I mean, again, it's very much about where you're situated in terms of time and place, right? So what I like to make, I would like to see things like I make, but I also like to see other things, probably more. I like to, I mean, I love going and seeing like fucking roses doing drumming or that, you know, that like the thing I like. So I do agree with that. And I think all of those things are, again, constantly in, uh, move, they're constantly moving because what I, lo- what I like to see now, I would like to sit in a theatre, not have someone trying to get me to walk around or do anything or engage in any way. I just like to sit quietly in a theatre in the dark with others and watch some really fucking amazing dancing and choreography. Like, that is what, right now, I would really like to see that. <laughs> but that would not, that was not what I, what I wanted to see was different five years ago. Yeah. You know, so that, so all of those things are constantly moving parts, but I think it helps to keep them apart. Mm. Because I think if you put them all together, and I think this is probably why I said that in the context of the experience with your class, One, there is not a thing that can be all of those things all at once. So if if you're looking for that, you will never find it. So I think in that context, because there was a lot of torment about 
about self-representation, but I think also it was very beautifully also about what what are we putting into the world? Mm. Like, and how can we think about that? And the ethics of what we do to the world yeah. <laughs> when we make a choreography, you know, when we're asking someone to do that. when we're So it was really, you were all, I mean, not all, but many of you seem to be really engaging with the ethics mm. of, of representation somehow. And that work really just was like totally silent screaming that like I can't I didn't know that many of you not all maybe half of that class was really deeply engaged with this kind of uh, dilemma mm. it's like so we're training to be a thing that we're not sure the world needs <laughs> like, and that felt so it wasn't until we began that I really felt like oh that is very much at work here how mm. cool so I think that statement would have come from that like Here's a here's a strategy for now, for trying to trying to just keep going. Yeah, yeah, and I think <laughs> because otherwise my... it will just stop. Everything will just stop. Yeah, and I think for my own part, like the now I can really separate what I like to do from what I like to see and make, mm. and and that I can like to do things that I wouldn't necessarily like to see, for example. Right. That I can really enjoy it from uh, from a doer's perspective. Yeah, yeah. But I still have a hard time to... The see and the make. Is it, yeah, the see... What you like to see and make. what you like to make. Feel or the same. Or even do and make. Like, is it is it okay to make something that I like to do? Yes. But that I don't necessarily... <laughs> No, if I want to see. I would talk. I would think about that completely. Well, I don't know, Rebecca. You have to figure <laughs> that out yourself. Yeah, but I know. <laughs> I think it's quite interesting that often two of those things will merge. Mm. At any given time, two of those things can kind of be happening together. Mm. In fact, they're usually not all separate all the time. I think I just kind of pull them apart as a way to understand, to see them. Like to make them more of a constellation than a puddle. Mm. Um, but I think if you're like, I really like doing this, and then you're in a making situation that involves you, <laughs> it's going to be very hard not to make the thing you're doing. Like it's going to be very almost impossible. If you're in a making situation, I think this is how I dealt with it. I really never made things that I did. Oh, yeah. I went from being a dancer. I think I made one solo and I was like, oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then I then I immediately went to things that I didn't I was not in. Mm-hmm. So that helped with that because I wasn't um in my kind of embodied aesthetic wasn't kind of sliming everything. Yeah. But I think if you're making something you're in so you have to be engaging with the pleasure principle in a way, like because you're doing. Not that everything you do is pleasurable, but everything you do is you understand why you're doing it. Somehow you have a relationship to it. So if I, I think if you're in the thing you make, it's impossible for those things to not be mm. in relation. But then if you consider, so if you consider them locked together somehow, then you consider like what it looks like. Then the problem is one of framing, I think. Mm. So it's like, 
if I'm making something that's a mashup of all my favorite moves, the person watching, it's a bit like what we were talking about before, can never know that. They, have, they, do, they cannot have that knowledge when they're perceiving it. Even if you wrote it in program notes, they still wouldn't really truly understand the depth of the relationship between the doing and the making. So how could you frame that so that either that knowledge didn't matter or that knowledge was really central mm. to the way the possible, again, people are going to perceive it how they're going to perceive it but so then it became, becomes an issue of framing and then it becomes an issue of then it, then you can use side event and counter right it's like so where should I put that how long or short should it be mm. and what do I want the encounter to be is this a someone coming into the studio which is the place that I love to do this thing I made in so they're in the home that produced this thing then there's a certain kind of you know so yeah. That would be my advice with things like that, but it's easier said than done. But, but putting, yeah, just putting everything on a stage is not, that is not the way to resolve that triangle mm. somehow. But neither is not doing it at all, so. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, okay. I have a finishing question mm -hmm. that I also ask all my guests. And um, it's a bit tricky question. Or maybe, a, I don't I'm know, ready. maybe a bit stupid. So uh, you I will have to um, stupid. Uh, interpret the question however you like. Mm -hmm. The question is, what is a good dancer? Hmm. When I have, a, of course, I have a little story. Go for but it. when... Um, I think it was Chris who told me this story when she first came to Stockholm. And I think it was Rebecca Stillman. So she first came to Stockholm and she said to Rebecca Stillman, so many Rebeccas today, um, that person's a really good dancer. And Rebecca Stillman was just so shocked that Chris was still thinking of this <laughs> good, bad paradigm. She was just like... Chris was like, she just felt like such a dinosaur. So when I, a good dancer to me is someone who can manage, who is managing, not can manage because <laughs> it comes and goes, but can manage the actual conditions <laughs> of the dance they're doing, of their body in relationship to all of the other bodies and of the can somehow both give and receive attention. So when I, if I'm like that person's a good dancer, <laughs> there's a whole set of things that are about technical. And usually if I'm thinking about technical things, then I'm, the performance has lost me. If I'm in a situation where I'm like, oh, I wish they wouldn't kick their legs so high that you can see that they've got no more range, Like, why can't they just kick their legs to just below their range? And then I can imagine the endlessness of their range, like things like that. If I'm there, then I'm out of the realm of the dance, the potential of what the dance is. 
So to me, the a, a good dancer <laughs> is is very much in real time managing the actual conditions of the dance. I think that's a very general response, but there's many, I mean, there's many, there's things about precision that I've been formerly very interested in and now I feel like it's a pr prison. I'm, I'm just like articulation, like how precise and articulate everyone is all the time is just like like an airless thing for me. Mm. And it used to be one of these markers of a good dancer to me. But I think the post, post, post modern thing of like, I'm not going to do stag leaps or secabesques or like, you know, but I am going to be so articulate that you are going to be exhausted by the range of the specificity that I can manage just inside the own frame of my own body, I just get like, oh. So that's really interesting. So that left me. Like now I'm like that's in – it's interesting, my back to training. I'm like that's so in the training now that it's no longer one of the markers <laughs> that, that I consider to be. Yeah, so it's a, a really good dancer is an intersection of the choreography, the her or his – like in the moment relationship to what that thing he did just did. So it's also like a relationship to the feedback loop mm. of sensation and mm. perception that people who can manage that when, when I can watch people go like, oh, that was cool. Like when I can really see someone actually letting me see them having an actual experience yeah. that's embodied, I guess that would be the thing. That would be my good dancer but I think we're supposed to stop saying that now Rebecca <laughs> I'm taking good dancer back no <laughs> it's but it's nice when you get that question and you because many people react like oh I, I can't answer that yeah that's but right but then they you answer always answer yeah. yeah somehow I mean you're always on it's one of those questions you'll always be on the edge of mm. because of course it's very um this really great she's a Spanish artist called Dora Garcia very interesting artist, visual artist, but she calls she she has something she calls the artistic paranormal. <laughs> She's just like you know when everyone knows it's a thing, but no one knows what the thing is. Mm. Like you can't. It's also I guess Plato calls it aesthesis. This, the felt, you know. So all of the things, and he said this fantastic thing. Well, apparently it was of course pre-literacy, but um. <laughs> But um, he said some aesthesis have names like fear, cold, heat, softness, you know, but countless aesthesis are nameless. Mm. And I think that good dancers are very much in the realm of this namelessness, mm. you know, this kind of hypersensitivity without kind of um, preciousness. I also like a good dancer to me is someone who's quite um, doesn't mind getting it wrong, and that's another thing with the perfection of the the perfect articulation kind of uh, era we're in. It's just like so perfect; mm. it's exhausting. But it's not per it's not like 
It's the realm of the material. It's almost like anyone could do it. It's super gestural, but no one, no, no ordinary person could do it. Like, so it's kind of, yeah, it has a, I'm having trouble. Sometimes that happens, certain moments. I get, I have this thing where I'm like, oh, we've all been working on the wrong thing. <laughs> like I get that quite, I've had that quite strongly at certain periods over my life in dance, which has been very long. I'm like, oh, my God, we've been training the wrong muscles. <laughs> and by muscles, I mean, you know, so now we're all here. Oh, my God. You know, so I feel a little bit like that, like with the combination of somatic practices and this thing about precision, all the things that I teach, Chris, all of those things, uh, our generation has been teaching mm. hyper awareness and sensitivity and precision and now I'm like oh okay that's well that's what that made ah. <laughs> little bit and I think those pieces I make are about undoing that a bit mm. also I think they're undoing quite undoing what you thought <laughs> undoing what I've thought and what I taught for many years yeah. you know like just not letting you do the thing that if I'm teaching you a technique class, I'm asking you to do. Mm. It's like that. So, I mean, I've stopped teaching technique class, but that's another story. I'm sure this podcast is way too long. Let's uh, bring it to an end. Is there anything else you would like to add or ask or be asked that we didn't get to? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'd like to hear, I mean, it's probably too long though, but I'd like to hear what you like so much about class. Mm, I like that everyone is doing, that mm. no one is watching or like mm. doing something else. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel that the many of the things that I am interested in they work in the class format but i have issues with with my interests on a stage for example i don't know what to do with them mm. but in the class situation what's an example um like running in a circle and stopping and feeling how your body is afterwards mm -hmm. and then dancing with that body like aftermath The yeah. idea of aftermath. For example. And like doing that with a lot of people in a room. And then saying some things about how that felt. <laughs> It works perfect <laughs> in a class situation. Yeah. On a stage, not so much. But many things about how I sense my own body. And that how I can share that. I haven't. I don't know if it's even possible for me to share that with a sitting audience in the dark that I don't even see. Mm. But if we are in a studio and I can, together with you, have this experience in both of our bodies. Yeah. That's, I think, why I like the class. I guess, I mean, I guess that's, some things work. Again, we're back to this thing of conventions, you know, like some things work in that context on the stage. And some the thing you're describing, I could imagine ways where 
I could love, I mean, I, w- I was just like, oh my God, Rebecca, you should totally do that. Like everybody off stage doing all of the thing, all of the, everything except the aftermath. Mm. And then the aftermath is what's performed. Mm. You know, there's w- it, there's ways, but it depends on what part of it you're interested in. Because a lot of people, it doesn't matter how you how interested you are in running around, stopping, feeling your blood and all the all those kind of physiological kind of experiences. Many people in the audience just couldn't, even if you provided them with that opportunity, they could care less. You know, so sometimes it's just getting what you're interested in, in the right, not the right, in relation to a context where it can be experienced. <laughs> Did that even make sense? But so something you can't just put a class on a stage. No. You can, but people <laughs> are like, why am I watching a class? Like they still won't get that. But if people were in the studio with you, for a longer period of time. For you you can make that a perform there's performativity there yeah. in terms of something that an audience could Exactly. could and experience. I, mean, I think it's interesting because I said choreography. that a while ago like I make dances but the only way to experience them is to do them. Yeah. And then you're my audience in a way like yeah. you could say that you're right. an audience to this dance but the only way to experience it is to That's right. do it. That's right. So that's how you can come and see the dances that, that or come and really, do the dances that I do. Well, it's interesting because you're still, in a way, with that working with this C, what was the triangle? C, C make, make do. do. You're really trying to get those things back together. Mm. You're trying to get the band back together. <laughs> it sounds like, mm. like that as a way to, to be a maker. Yeah. And that sounds really interesting to me. And I think there are many teachers where you go to the class and you feel like this is a class and a performance. Oh, yeah. And a total art yeah, yeah. experience. Absolutely. By the way that someone is teaching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's some beautiful... I mean, you could... I, I've always wanted to do this and I've never done it. Like putting a giant plinth. <laughs> like I wouldn't say a stage. I'd say a plinth in a gallery. <laughs> like a huge plinth. And I really wanted to make it like so that the audience are like just like this. So it's really feet. Yeah. And so you would have to get a long way back to oh. you have to get a long way back to be able to really see it. But, yeah. And just to invite people to give and do class mm-hmm. as a as a you know, and that's just because it's in a gallery on a plinth. Mm. It's a work of art. People mm. can stay as long as they want to, leave, they can stay, they can join, they can, you know. There's context like that you could play around with. You yeah. know? I've always been, yeah. I love class also, just the whole construction. But class, the thing it has is like people who really want to be there and someone who really wants to share information. Yeah. And like you need those, <laughs> they're, the, they're the things you need somehow. And you come there with such a different mindset than you go to see a performance that's right that's right so i feel like if you put it if you situate it somewhere where it usually isn't and you don't put the pressures of a of a kind of performance the classic pressures on it that you put it in a place where people can stay as long as they like then maybe some people will 
begin to understand what you like so much about it. You know what I mean? But yeah. maybe not also. It's the, but it is the relationship between the dance doesn't look how it feels. It's very strongly <laughs> very. in there yeah. also. But the thing I tried to get a really rich lady in Melbourne who's like an art patron to um, – because art in Australia is very uh, – it's a very sporty country. Like you, you guys have your choirs and those crazy forenings with the dancing things in the forest. Like amazing. Mm. I love those. Things. It's amazing. So art as experience is deep in Swedish culture. Mm. Deep. That is not so in the in the kind of Anglo cultures at all. So – and thing, it doesn't make any money, especially dance. So it's very under – represented as a um but uh sweden also has a fantastic and historic relationship to experimentation supporting experimental art over decades amazing it's it's not a mystery why we're all here Mm. really it's something it's really incredible the history of sweden and experimental art actually susan sontag robert rauschenberg i mean so many artists that Sweden supported before the rest of the world understood that they were how influential they are. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But I wanted her to fund a a studio on the ground floor in the middle of the city of Melbourne just with all glass windows for exactly this reason. Mm. I'm like, if people just walked, like it would be weird. Maybe there'd be perverts or something. I mean, there'd be all kinds of things you'd have to deal with. Maybe you'd need to have one of those things that could frost, yeah. you know, like pervert alert or something. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm so as clearly I've had lots of thoughts about it. But so just a giant studio in the middle of the city on the ground floor so that people walking to work or walking shopping or something, dance, seeing people dancing mm. was just one of the things that became integrated into their daily yeah. existences. That always felt to me like this is the only way we could even begin to change things. So that's... That's relation to your idea of class being the thing. Class is the thing that maybe could change the world, really, (laughs) dance class, because of what it what it kind of provides. So we're not on we're not on dissimilar. She really didn't go for it because, of course, it would have cost a huge amount of money. (laughs) It's in the middle of the city. I had very deep needs. It needed to be really open so people would see. And then when I talked to kind of dance people about it, they're like, I don't want people looking at me all the time. Mm. I'm like, well, you'd get over that. I mean, you really forget <laughs> about that really fast. So I was knee deep in negotiations, but I just couldn't get off the ground. But I still to this day think that would be. In fact, I was in, I was walking through, um, what's that right near um, Kulturhuset? Mm. down yeah down it's below yeah well there's this big round yeah, gla- all glass yes and it's been two shops and it but it looks like if you took the there's a fake wall it would just be one big but they did round something there glass. recently did they yeah there was a dance thing there ah. i don't remember who so, was behind it but so maybe i should start maybe i should there. start this with my in, yes. in Stockholm mm-hmm. as a side event encounter. But, yeah, just making it uh, a studio yeah. where people could go and rehearse or do class or do anything and people just kind of wandered by and 
in yeah, the middle of Sagittarius Taurus. That would be. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Anyway, it probably got more chance of that happening in Stockholm than I ever had of it happening in Melbourne. But so, all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And uh, thank you, whoever is listening. <laughs> yeah, thank you. If you got sorry about my accent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Fan, 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 fan,